Hello there, this interview that you're about to hear was originally done by me, Sam Roscoe or Chris Prince for the Blue Moon podcast sometime between 2009 and now. That means if there's anything that sounds a bit out of date or if there's anything that's an obvious topic that we've not asked the guest about, it's probably because the interview is from a long time ago. This show is basically the Blue Moon podcast interview archive. All of the new interviews that we do with former City players and managers will go live on the Blue Moon podcast first, so if you like what you hear then please go and subscribe to that and there's a new show every Friday with a look at everything on and off the pitch for City. But for now enjoy the end of this generic recorded message and enjoy the interview with the person whose name is in the title of this episode. There were two things really I think. The the, the first one was it's a boyhood dream to to want to be involved in a football club if you if you're British and you and you you know you love football the way that I did. Uh, and the second thing about it was, uh, selfishly, I was ready to move away from Nike. It was a big business, big brand, and I, I was kind of ready for something new. But I think the other part of it is, um, you know, I, if you look at all of the clubs in the world, uh, particularly in England, this one I felt was a sleeping giant. I felt that I, I just, you know, you always have to have confidence in your own ability. Um, there was an element of it where I knew I was in at the deep end. Uh, but I really felt there was something there at Man City that could be uh, could be quite extraordinary. And of course, um, there was already a CEO in place in in Alistair McIntosh. There, what was your relationship like with him, albeit briefly? Um, it was it was a good relationship. I mean, he's a he's he's a good man. He's a smart guy, and uh, you know he's he's been in football a long, long time, and he'd been at this football club for a long, long time. But like any organisation, uh, you know if when you bring in um, new people uh, sometimes there's not room for everybody and, and somebody has to somebody has to move along but he was um, you know I have the greatest respect for him he'd, he'd worked very very hard here and he'd also uh, done a great job in keeping um, you know this organisation aligned with its financial com- restraint uh, which was it was restrained as a as a as a football club, but I but I also think that uh, you know there's a lot of people around in the club, uh, people like John Wardle, uh, Alistair, who who have played played such a major part in the building, and when we when I arrived, Alistair uh, left, and then John Wardle had decided he would resign and so I think it was just a new era it was just time for a for a new change and it was time for things to to be different you mentioned the John Wardle and, and the impact he had um there were rumors that his money was needed to to pay the players at one stage how true were they they were very true um you know we we were in dire straits uh you know, we were we were shortly about to go into administration. There was a, there was a big challenge ahead, and uh, John is a is a city fan through and through, and I've I've been public with this before. Is that if it wasn't for John, um, I think we would have been in a much worse situation. And who knows? Once you lose control, and a football club goes into the hands of administrators, it can be uh, it can be very challenging. So what what was it then that that you saw? that kind of revolutionised the club and, and changed it to, to, to make sure it didn't fall into administration? Well, we, uh, well, quite simply, we had to go out and find new owners. And uh, within 10 days, um, you know, some of, some of the guys that were working with, uh, 
With Shannon, uh, Tax in Shinawatra were, were posed the question, we, we're going to have to find some funds. Um, you know, Taxin was having some challenges politically and it was impacting the football club. And we then had to go and try and sell the football club. And we spoke to, you know, Greek shipping tycoons and we spoke to a few different guys. And, uh, you know, the wind came blowing through and we were in the right direction when we, uh, we made contact with, uh, with the guys from Abu Dhabi. What was your impressions of, of Dr. Tax in Sinawatra? You know, I, I, of course, everybody remembers, you know, my comments about seemed like a nice guy. And I, and I suppose that if you look at that in the context of some of the issues that he's faced, I would say that's probably a naive thing to say from me. But, but, but you can only judge people on the, on, the, in the, on the face value of what you experience. And... Uh, I, I didn't have a political platform, I don't have a political f- platform and I wasn't interested in getting involved in politics. My job was to run the football club and whenever I met with him and spoke to him he would ask me for my thoughts, I would give them to him and he would say, I support your views, away you go. Um, and then when we sat down and discussed the fact that we needed to sell the football club he said, okay, then I agree. So so for me my experience with him was one of, it was cordial, it was it was sensible and it was adult um but you know uh, i i wasn't i wasn't in, interested in his political uh, background how involved were you in the takeover by abu dhabi there, there were a, there was there were many people involved in it and and there was actually a change of regime in abu, in abu dhabi if you remember there was a guy called Suleiman al-fayim uh, who was running around the world telling him we were going to buy everything. If you stood still long enough, it was a chance he might buy you. And so one of the things that we were worried about was the v- perception. Um, so we went through some changes there. There were several people that we met with. Uh, I was preparing all the presentations and, and the virtues of the football club and the ambition of the football club. And the and it was really the re- the value between the cost of it and the capability of it, right? So you could buy Manchester United and you'd have to spend a big number and they already had you were buying the finished product you could buy Roma in in um, in Italy but a lot of money needed investing and the Premier League value was far greater than the Italian League and they were going through some challenges so it was the combination and the levers that you you have to work out where the value is before you can get to a point where you say this is actually a good proposition Manchester City was great value for money a big football club in a big city that was known as a footballing city and uh, you know, when you add all of those, they say that 72% of all businesses, uh, the value is in intangible assets, not necessarily all of the things that you're buying that you can fix and see. And they're actually the things like goodwill and the brand value and all of those things. And I think City fit the bill there. Well, I wanted to ask, I mean, there were rumours at the time that there were other clubs that could have been subject to the, to the Abu Dhabi takeover. What was it about City that made them stand out? I think if, you know, going back to the, the, the earlier question, which is uh, it was great value for money. Um, it was, again, it had all the components. There was a great land proposition surrounding the football club. There was a great city uh, and the chief executive uh, of the city, Sir Howard Bernstein, um, was, was very supportive of, of developing the football club. Um, so I think it was really 
that and it was all of the the people that were here the ambition uh, and the commitment and the pride and and the faith that everybody had had um and i think you know you you can you can take something and build it and grow it but sometimes you can't really you can't realize a bigger ambition with it and we know of all those football clubs now that are somewhere in the Premier League and they'll always be mid-table because there's no you know they're not they're not big propositions but this one this one was you had ideas about the Manchester City brand that I don't think anybody else really kind of cottoned onto certainly not until more modern times now at the club what what did you say to people to try, try and convince them that they were buying into the right idea uh yeah great i mean <laughs> that's a great question because i i really don't know how we got some of the players to come i mean you know if you ask a footballer why they want to go to a football club it's to win trophies for success that's what they really want to be able to do and that are the great players that is and so you know when you start to talk to some of the great players around the world and you go manchester city or Manchester United, Real Madrid, Barcelona, it, it's a clearly a, a challenge. And so part of, the, part of the issue was we had to overpay. You have to. You can't, you know, people are, when they've got choices and all things being equal, they're going to go to the biggest and the best. And we weren't. And we have to be realistic about that. And so there were a couple of players who changed the dynamics for us, and obviously Rubinho was one, but I always felt Tevez was a good one because that was, you know, that helped us. But really the two I always hold up in, in the highest regard because they, they came for the right reasons, Yaya Toure and David Silva. How difficult or easy was it to get them to sign? It was a little easier once we'd got um, uh, Yaya to agree. Um, because then a lot of people started to drop after that. It was much easier once we got the big player, but this big player wasn't. It wasn't all about the money. It wasn't all of it. It was about him being a catalyst for change, and that's what we always told players. Back to your earlier question, one of the things that we sold was, "Do you want to be in a little fish in a big pond, or do you want to come here and change the way that people look at Manchester City?" And that was always a compelling argument. And I think Yaya, yeah, had been a great player at Barcelona, played in the, um, you know, the Champions League against Man United at centre half, and and you know we convinced him that you can keep being thrown around into different positions at Barcelona because you can fit in as a squad player when people are injured, or you can come here and make a difference. And I think he bought into that. Of course, there was several high-profile transfer tussles while you were in, in the chief exec role. Uh, one of the biggest, I think, was uh, was the attempt to sign Kaká. Um, your words at the time were, I, I think you said something like, uh, you felt Milan bottled it. Um, what what do you feel about that transfer now, looking back? Uh, it did, it, all of the, um, the noise that surrounded our ambition, and it was a representation of our ambition, and, and I think if it was a it was a an attempt to try and get one of the biggest players in the world at the time to come to the football club, and there's a realism to knowing that you've got a very very slight chance, but it was a representation of our ambition. And I think what it did was it made a lot of people go, "Well, hold on a minute, maybe these guys are serious," which impacts the players, it impacts the fans, 
It impacts the employees. And the world of football was starting to look a little different. All of a sudden, there was a new kid on the block. And really, that's the, that was what we set out to do. Um, and then there's all of the other stuff that created. It was Berlusconi's... It was a political platform, and it was challenging, and all of those things. It was great learning for all of us. You know, I look back on it now, and people go, well, what, what was all that about? Hey, learnt a lot. The club learned a lot, and... I've actually bumped into Kaka and he said, you know, sometimes I wish I'd come. So we all have our point of view. I was allowed to have a point of view. I was allowed to say they're bold because I thought they did. And I took a lot of stuff personally at this football club because uh, it meant a lot to me. How close was City to actually signing Wayne Rooney? <laughs> well, Wayne's, you know, is, is, is a great player and I, we have a personal friendship with his agent, uh, Paul Stretford. And, you know, like anything, um, you'd like to think there was an opportunity for us. Um, I, I don't think Wayne Rooney is isolated as any one person that wasn't amongst everybody else that, uh, you know, once you start to see the success coming, you are both interested in players, uh, agents are interested in you as a stalking horse. And I'm not so sure which one all of them represent. But I can, I can safely say that uh, we thought perhaps we were closer than, than maybe they did. But, but that's irrelevant because you never really know the truth. Uh, and I don't even know the truth uh, in a lot of them. Um, but, uh, but he's a great player. I played, we, I played golf with him previously and he's a great... I mean, you know, if you want players to change the dynamics of a team, Wayne Rooney was one of those guys and... Uh, Anyway, he seems to have done all right for himself. In terms of your time at Manchester City, what would you say your best decision was? Uh, the people that I hired. Um, I don't think all of them were great decisions in hiring, but I think it was the idea that we built an organisation that was surrounding uh, a, a, an ambition and an expectation of greatness and everybody, we got everybody believing and we got everybody uh, doing the right thing. So the decision was, there are four, in my mind, there are four communities. There are the owners, there's the media, there's the supporters, and there's the employees. And you can't please all of them. There's a great saying. Uh, I don't know the recipe for success, but the recipe for failure is to try and please all of the people all of the time. And a lot of people in football, they satisfy the needs of the press and their owners. And they sacrifice the supporters and the employees. But being a big people man and loving people and believing in people, because everybody has to get up in the morning and want to do something, I went the other way and I said, employees, and I also said the fans. They're the two most important components to being a great football club. The owners play a great part and they need to see success. The media, they have nothing other than extracting value from a football club. And there's some great writers out there and some great... So it's disrespectful of me to, to blanket the entire media. But as a model, it's about getting a story out of the football club. And so... I didn't need to satisfy their needs, although I did, <laughs> inadvertently. 
But to me, it was all about making this a great place to work, and it was making giving the fans something to cheer about. Do you have any regrets? I have loads. But not only at this football club, about life. Um, I think, you know, there's a difference between um, working in a public space and working in a private space. I didn't change who I was. I was still the same person. And I was prone to mistakes. But I think we all should be. Because if we don't make any mistakes, we're not trying. So my regrets are some of the mistakes. But uh, I would never, ever sit back and say, well, I never made a mistake, therefore it was much easier and it was much better because I probably wouldn't have been trying hard enough. And that kind of a a two-point question. Um, When you arrived at City... What were your expectations for the club? And do you feel they've achieved them now? Well, I think if you break it down as to, the, you know, painting the future, or I always called it the journey. Um, you know, a journey, in, in most cases, uh, it has a beginning and an end, but you just don't know where the end is. And on that pathway, I felt that there were about five six phases of development and you always have to paint the blue sky picture as well. what's, what's the, be- the biggest and the best thing that can happen clearly you have to start winning football matches you have to start doing some things along the way but you build facilities and all the rest of it and I think if we were to ma- manage those five six phases we're not even at phase two or three so a lot more to come yet so I think there's you know a great future ahead how do you feel about the situation that surrounded your re- resignation? Somewhat regretful. Um, it's easy to sit and point fingers and blame others. And, and I think that, you know, I, I live every day with, with, the, with the knowledge that there was more than just uh, a, a, an issue between Mrs. Anur and I. Um, bless her. Unfortunately, she passed. Um, there was, there's, there's no excuses and I won't make any for my actions because I'm regretful of them. They were poor and they were misjudged. Um, there were also forces at bay around it that were making it more than it probably needed to be. Mrs. Anur and I, uh, we corrected our differences and we left uh, at a point where we both said to each other, um, I respect you and she said to me and I respect you and we should leave our differences there and that's good enough for me and uh, bless her and her family good people and it was something I wish never happened uh, but it did and I'll live with that and I'll regretfully live with that Do you miss it being part of Manchester City? Of course um, I find it hard to come back I find it hard to to be here at the stadium. I find it hard to uh, to see the people that you know I worked with for such a long time. And it wasn't a job; it was really a passion. Uh, and when you engage so much of your time and commitment into this, and you walk away, and you've not got it anymore, uh, it hurts. 
and it hurts that you're not at the forefront of it. But the reason I took my time out and needed to get away was I was starting to define myself through being a CEO of a football club called Manchester City. And I wasn't defining myself by being a father of two uh, and as a man. And uh, that had impact on me at the time, and it still does. And so I never really... I'll never get over the impact that this football club has had on me, my family, and my personal life. And professionally, I would never have missed that opportunity. Personally, I wish some of the things that have happened didn't happen. Um, and I'll live with that. But I, uh, I, miss, I miss it dreadfully. But I'm happy, and I've moved on. And uh, I feel like it's a bit like a divorce. You miss all the good bits and you forget about the bad bits. And believe me, there were some bad bits.